Welcome to a very special episode of the Constitutionals Podcast. I'm your host, Chad White. Hello. I feel like I should have said that first. Here we are. I have a special interview with Bobby Moynihan. I uh, sat down with uh, my... Now I can officially dub him my good friend. Bobby and I sat down uh, to talk about his new Comedy Central online show animated series, Lightning Wolves. Lightning Wolves is a cartoon akin to, it's animated, as I said before, it's a cartoon akin to the, uh, the uh, Thundercats and and uh, Transformers and every other, and He-Man and every other, and She-Ra, and I'll finish that sentence in a second. Like if I, get, like I think of one more 80s cartoon show. It's reminiscent of those shows, and it's a very funny thing. It's uh, very, very, very uh, omni- om- omniscient of itself, and it can it can see all around itself, and it knows what it is. Uh, and uh, I, I enjoyed the episodes I, I got to see, and yeah, I got to see episodes before everybody. It features the voices of Taron Killam, Ben Schwartz, Colby Smulders, Donald Faison, Eugene Cordero, Sofia Gonzalez, just a slew of very funny people, uh, very recognizable names that you have known and seen before. It's an eight-episode show that you can watch online on Comedy Central Animated on YouTube as well as Comedy Central Animated Facebook. It's already launched. You can see episodes right now as we speak. This interview was great. I enjoyed Bobby. Uh, We, uh, off camera, we discussed hanging out. We didn't. (laughs) We didn't, but it was a it was a nice little chat I had with Bobby, and I, I hope I did it justice. Uh, and, and 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 there is that. Listen, if you like my voice, and if you want to see more interviews just like this, head on over to cpluscomedy.com, where you can see me talk to other comedians of the same caliber as Bobby Moynihan. You can also see a video version of this interview over there. On my YouTube page, youtube.com slash cpluscomedy. And let's not forget, you can also see News Time, our premier weekly news show where I take one topic and I dig around and I make stories about that one topic. What else is going on? Instagram, Twitter, at cpluscomedy. Facebook, cpluscomedy. Me on Instagram and Twitter, at chadblackwhite. Now here is the interview, and then following that will be an episode of The Constitutionals. <laughs> the thing the thing you don't want to listen to. <laughs> so you're going to listen to this, this intro part. Then you're going to listen to The Constitution. Then you're going to listen to Bobby Moynihan. And then you're going to go, it's enough. And they're going to turn off the rest of the episode of this podcast. <laughs> okay. Rate, review, subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcast. Tell your friends about it. You want to see a video version of the podcast as well. Head on over to youtube.com slash comedy. Thank you so much. I love you. Bye. Awesome. Hey, Bobby. Thank you. Oh, man. How are you? I'm doing well by yourself. Yeah, doing good. Good, good. Uh, so I just wanted to obviously talk to you about uh, the new show. Uh, it looked great, very beautiful, very reminiscent of every Saturday morning cartoon I grew up with. Oh, that makes me so happy to hear. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Lowbrow, yeah, Lowbrow, the animation studio knocked it out of the park. Yeah, it, it captures a feel that I don't think is 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 in any cartoon today. 
Uh, and especially because it kind of looks kind of fuzzy, but the colors are very, very much there. That's awesome. Thank you. That makes me happy. That's what we were going for. How was it voicing all of those characters that you got to do? Uh, the best. I think I was very selfish. Uh, I got to I, I got to play a, a, a good guy, their, their robot sidekick, and a bad guy. I, I took a lot of parts for myself in this one. It was actually more just because it was a pandemic and we had a microphone and I could... I could do more <laughs> by myself, um, but no, I love I love voicing characters. So to get to do something like this, which is uh, something I I wrote and love, was super fun. Did you uh, did you have to, you know, when you when you were writing it, did everything just come naturally to you, or did were there things that you wanted to hit necessarily because the Saturday morning tropes that we had to deal with for so long? Yeah, it's a tricky, it's like a weird thing. It's like I, I decided to write a, th a very complicated thing, which is like 80s cartoons realizing that they are cartoons and they are just toys. <laughs> so there was a lot to explain. But yeah, I just I just mashed up a lot of 80s cartoons together and then thought about you know those life lessons that they learned in every episode and kind of how they would compare to an adult today trying to learn a life lesson and, and just wanted to do that. So there's a lot of cursing and adult life lessons in this version. Sort of sort of 80s cartoons for the for the adults now who grew up with them. Yeah, I you know, the the life lessons thing really sticks out because you don't see that anymore. Even, you know, early on in South Park's tenure, they were doing at the end of the day episodes, you know, and uh, yeah. And so it, it's it's nice to see that kind of harken back. I think that's probably one of my favorite aspects of it is is that you always have to take something away from G.I. Joe or something. Yeah. Knowing is half the battle. That was kind of we, we have that. I think our ours is uh you know, and that's something worth taking into consideration. <laughs> we say it every episode where they learn their lesson. I think uh, one of my favorite parts of this show is uh, the and credit is always given to Eugene Cordero, <laughs> Little Beach. That is such a that's a very funny runner that really sticks out to me. Uh, I, seriously, that's that's my favorite. You are making you are making my 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 you are making my year right now because all the little dumb things that I hope worked uh, uh, for for the past two years that we've been working on it. It's nice to see that. Uh, yeah, Eugene's a good buddy of mine, and I just think it like that and Amby Davis as Alice, you know, just kind of like that that trope of, of having that I really like it and that we do it in every episode makes me laugh. That's just that was actually just me trying to make Eugene laugh. <laughs> was it uh, was it easy to cast this show because Taryn's in it and uh, uh, Eugene's in it and then you've got Ben Schwartz and Colby Smulders and uh, just a, a, a group a great group of uh, comedy people but was it easy for you to just, you know, help and pick out and go, these people will go here? Yeah, it was just all my it's all my buddies. Uh, yeah, it, it it was a lot of people I had wanted to work with, and when I when I was writing it, I just went, well, this you know, Donald Faison would knock this out of the park, and I've been wanting to work with him, and Sophia Gonzalez is fantastic as Wolfette, and uh, Nicole Parker can do any voice in the world, so I knew that was a no brainer, and Lennon had a very deep this character she used to do in improv, you know, twenty five years ago when we met, and like at, at UCB and and. I was like, can you please just come do this again? And yeah, just all all favors, all me calling friends and asking them to come do dumb voices on this silly cartoon. When when you were concepting the show, uh, 
did you, and, and it is a group of improvisers, a group of great common people who can play from the page and from their minds and hearts, yeah. uh, if that's what the improv is, is from the heart. Uh, it's, uh, what, did you, did you all have a chance to play around? Cause I, I know, I know that, you know, you might want to just go from the script, but did you let them uh, do anything of their own? Yeah, this one was definitely, I, I did a, I did a series called Lofi in the same way I did eight shorts and this thing called Lofi. And it was, it was a lot, it was mostly improvised. It kind of just went like, this is the idea for this episode and we're just going to improvise. And this one was completely different. This one was scripted, but there is there is a bit of improvising in it. Everybody's so funny, and they kind of added their own their flavor to it. Uh, Jimmy Simpson, uh, who plays Moom, the bad guy, I, I had just been a fan of his forever, and I, I, I did something with him. I think it was just like a Zoom call, and he offhandedly mentioned that he loved Thundercats, and I just sent him a message over Twitter, and I was like, hey, I'm doing this kind of Thundercats thing. Would you want to play the bad guy in it? And he immediately said yes, and I was so happy because he's kind of my favorite part of the whole thing. Uh, he, he's just, he got it completely, and he just got that Skeletor vibe of, like, I'm the bad guy, but I'm actually the funny one who you're rooting for. <laughs> and, like, a lot of his stuff is improvised. He made me laugh, and I left a lot of it in. <laughs> He, he was an excellent addition, and I think uh, along the lines of the characters, all the characters, it kind of reminds me of something that's uh, a, a cross between, you know, Saturday morning cartoons and then also Adult Swim, uh, and especially with the cuts to reality, because that seemed unnecessary, but also very, very fun and, <laughs> and engaging because seeing those two kids dance. It's going somewhere. You'll see. Okay. It's, <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait. I, I mean, I love it. Seriously, I, those kids, seeing those kids is just the the one of the oh, best that parts. makes me so happy yeah that's awesome yeah there's eight episodes you you, you see you see the, 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 you'll see yeah <laughs> i can't wait to see that for reason. <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, but you know what uh let's see i think that's all i have for you uh but thank you so much for sitting down with me i i appreciate it uh, thank this you is Jed. A great you show yeah yeah of course and uh <laughs> yeah good luck good luck with the launch and everything and uh continue doing a great job with mr mayor thanks man i appreciate it thanks so You're much all right. Pleasure to meet you, man. And welcome back to the Constitutionals Podcast. I'm your host, Chad White. If you didn't know, this is the premier podcast for the website, cpluscomedy.com. Like I just said, it's a website. Go there. Episode 244. Here we are. Several weeks off. <laughs> too much too much work, apparently, for me to sit down and record this show, even though uh, multiple times... I was like, uh, hey, maybe I should record this podcast. Uh, I even prepped for it multiple times. Now I'm having trouble putting Audition. I have this app that I use uh, uh, for the Mac, and uh, it's called Magnet, and I spent $8 on it. And what it does is it shrinks your windows down to uh, sizes. It just it snaps your windows magnetically to your to your screen desktop like you were in... A Windows uh, platform, uh, and it it has worked. It has finally worked, uh, but it took forever for it to snap. Here we are, two forty four. Let's get on with this because I am cooking dinner, and uh, it is in the oven. I need to pay attention to it. You may be hearing the uh, the microwave fan. You may be hearing the Simpsons in the background. I don't care. Room tone, getting room tone. <laughs> Here we go. Netflix may finally get ads. Also, uh, Elon Musk bought Twitter today. So there's that for... Uh, I was just listening to Jimmy Kimmel on um, Kara Swisher's podcast, Sway. 
and uh, you know we have the same thought it shouldn't one person should not own Twitter uh, but then you know then all these people are like free speech free speech but man when when it's about when your free speech is about hate and racism and just any hoosers, this comes from Wall Street Journal. Netflix explores a, a version with ads as subscriber base shrinks. So last week, we got the first quarter uh, results for Netflix. They lost 200,000 subscribers, and they're supposedly uh, expected to lose about 2 million more in the, in, you know, in the next quarter. Uh, there's also news that... This is coming from the top of my head. I'm not reading this, I promise. There's also news that they are cracking down on password sharing, which... I mean, I guess it, it makes sense, uh, but it's been when you when you when you're giving you know people water for so long, uh, they you know water's free. Then why not? What I'm saying is in my broken simile, my broken metaphor here, because it was not a like or as, and my broken metaphor is uh, it. It's a little too late for that for cracking down on password sharing, and then what happens when you like you're a family and. And you pay for, you know, the 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 most expensive account, and and you have to, which is now twenty dollars, and and uh, and you're it's the kid who's at college, and then the young adult kid who's uh, living, you know, with their friends, and and then the two parents, or three parents, it might be a thruple. I really like the shirt I'm wearing today. It's a shirt I bought at Kohl's. Uh, I used to work at Kohl's a long time ago, and I. God, I hate it so much. Uh, also, my phone is broken. My screen broke. Uh, something happened at the gym. And uh, and then another thing happened at the gym. <laughs> and it got even worse. And, and Google is refusing to place it to replace it unless I pay. Even though I pay for uh, phone you know, coverage or whatever. The $15 a month for this S21 Ultra. Uh, they're refusing. They, they, you have to put money down in order for them to send the phone out. Or you send your phone in and be without a phone for as long as it takes them to send one out to you. Which I think is insane. If I pay $15 a month plus, you know, the uh, 70 or so for the uh, for the coverage, you're you're sending me a phone. I don't care. What am I talking about? <laughs> oh, this shirt. I bought it when I when I used to work at Kohl's and uh, a lot of, you know, when I first got it, people were like, "Ugh." That's a dad shirt. I don't like it. Blah, blah, blah. But as the years have gone by, people go, you know what? That's a nice shirt. That's a cool shirt. And I, I, leave, I wear it like with, and the buttons are like nicely spaced so I can just like, I can leave it unbuttoned all the way down to like the middle of my chest. It looks great. And then I've gotten more muscular so I fill it out even more. So here's that. All right, let's go on. So we know the numbers. They lost subscribers, and the growth is. I feel like it is plateauing, and there's and they're blaming it a lot on the pandemic, um, but I, I don't I don't think the pandemic really has much to do with it. People are going to watch TV regardless, and if you're the number one streamer, they're going to continue to watch you. But here we come along with uh, Disney Plus and Hulu, and uh, and now we have the newly combined uh, Warner Bros. Discovery, which we'll see uh, more editions of Discovery Plus content on uh, on HBO Max, and then as well as CNN. Now that CNN Plus has been uh, wisely dismantled, may or may not have mentioned that in a meeting this morning. Not me. 
but it was it was in a meeting. <laughs> Nothing bad. No one was talking anything bad. It's just uh, just discussing what's going on in the world of uh, the Warner Bros. Discovery team. So as Netflix continues to push uh, worldwide and continue to dominate out there, uh, they also had to cancel or uh, get rid of accounts in Russia because uh, the the because of that over there, and then. They're down in Latin America, which has lost about 400,000 subscribers, and uh, U.S. and uh, Canada, which is the North Americas. Uh, the company lost about 600,000, uh, which they say is due to that recent price increase. But, uh, you know, I would, I would appreciate, and I don't know how sustainable this is. We know that prices are going to increase for, for these services. Uh, we've already seen Disney Plus... Hulu and ESPN Plus each creep up a dollar. Actually, I don't think ESPN Plus, uh, Plus was a dollar. Well, raised a dollar, but we did see the uh, D- Disney's two of Disney's streaming services go up by one whole dollar. Uh, and you know, the whole joke is people going, "Oh, well, all these streaming services, I'm, I'm basically paying for cable again," <laughs> which is not true because I also pay for cable. <laughs> YouTube TV, same thing, uh, and. You know, I I don't know how sustainable this is, and obviously because Netflix is not operating in the green, or and probably never will. Uh, and then w- watch in, into the fourth quarter this year, it's going to be uh, Netflix is the most profitable company in the world. <laughs> uh, I I I wonder, you know, if this is going to be like I like I think a, a, a service like uh, Apple TV Plus is a loss leader for Apple because you know they put in a billion or so dollars uh, into making shows and movies and acquiring things like that. And, and you have Netflix over here raising prices to now $20 for a 4k streaming option, uh, as opposed to what it was like, what, four years ago, like 15 or so 15 or $16. Uh, it's, I wonder if this is going to be worth it in the end in order to fight, you know, the, the other streamers that they really opened that Netflix really opened the door for with the exception of Hulu. Uh, Hulu was our Hulu was there from the beginning. So the companion article I have with this, uh, written by John Coblin and Nicole Sperling over at New York Times, Netflix's stumble could be a warning sign for the streaming industry. I mean, it's basically saying that you know, if Netflix can falter, then and they're the they're the leader in this, then any one of these can falter, and that and that is and that's uh, and for Apple TV, which is the only streaming service to win an Oscar, and for Disney. Uh, which is, quite frankly, the uh, the quote unquote upstart here, <laughs> the scrappy young upstart. Uh, then then this then this could be a little bit concerning, and not now, not in the short run, but uh, when things when things move along forward, especially as you know, let's say there is God forbid another pandemic, and and everybody and everything, you know, people don't want to shut down again, but. What if we have to shut down again? Or what if it gets to a point where it's it's going to be difficult to operate, you know, for Fox to operate, for Fox Broadcasting to operate Tubi and for uh, NBC Universal to operate Peacock? And here's a question that Coblin and Sperling write about. Can Netflix's original content set itself apart from from everybody else's you know and then they reference apple tv severance severance and then amazon's lord of the rings coming up and those are obviously two different 
uh, things that really are standing out. And even though Lord of the Rings has yet to 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 appear on Amazon, but it's it's five hundred million dollars, and I God, I hope it's good because they finally have people of color in this thing. Uh, but will will it? You know, will Netflix be able to make something of itself when it comes to uh, to to standing out uh, above its neighbors? Because you know what, I don't like Star Wars, but I have been coerced by uh, somebody to watch Star to watch uh, not Star Wars, not to watch those stupid freaking movies, to watch uh, The Mandalorian, and I gotta say, man, it's not a bad show. It's not a bad show. But then I see, you know, a movie like The Bubble on Netflix. And I'm a third of the way through it, and I stopped it one night, and I just never went back. And they and they can bring on, you know, anime like Katara Lives at Home, which is a show I watched one episode of. It's very cute. Uh, but then I think it, what it really stands out is what they're doing in the, quite frankly, the gaming space, where they have shows like Cat Burglar, interactive shows like Cat Burglar, and then uh, big big hits like Russian Doll, which is not interactive, but it gets people talking. And I think part of their problem is, uh, you know, every I, I always hear people complain, like, I just, like, I wish streaming services would drop everything I want, drop everything I want so I can just binge it, I can just binge it and enjoy it. But, you know, for for shows like Russian Doll, they drop and then people talk about it, or Bridges in Season 2. That's supposed to be the biggest show of all time. They drop it, people talk about it, and then they just move on. And yeah, you can people can, you know, uh, four weeks later, a month later, people can write, can write, you know, their their little, uh, uh, what is it called, think pieces about that, about the sh- about the show they love so much. But you know, in the long run, people were talking about Severance for two straight months because they dropped two, because Apple TV dropped two episodes at once, and then they continued up with the rest of the season. I'm still thinking about Severance. I'm still thinking about the finale. And I watched it the day of. But then the the counterpoint to that is you can get stuck behind and you can forget about a show, which I did with Severance. And I was like three weeks behind on that show. I just I, I for I mean for Netflix, I just think it, it takes slow down with the with the content spending. slow down with you know buying uh, acquiring shows that aren't yours. Uh slow down with you know, just green lighting every little thing. Because with Apple TV and even with this, uh, Disney Plus, those are two different services that don't have a lot on them. But I kind of know what I'm going to watch when I go there. <laughs> All right, I'm going to watch Severance. Okay, I'm going to watch, I'm going to tough my way through Central Park. It's not a good show. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to watch The Mandalorian. I'm going to. Uh, tolerate an episode of The Bad Batch. I'm just kidding. The Bad Batch is great. Maybe I would like Star Wars. I mean, if the fans weren't so racist. Uh, and so, if <laughs> it's true, and uh, so, and, and that's and that's just my thoughts on Netflix. Nobody was asking, and nobody cares really. They're going to continue to dominate when it comes when it all comes down to it. I even opened opened up Netflix here on the uh, on my web browser and uh, did not comment on it. All right, let's see what is next. Uh, BuzzFeed. Oh, this is a story from weeks ago, but I'm still going to do it. This comes from Deadline, written by Jill Goldsmith and Ted Johnson. BuzzFeed scaling back in news as several editors depart and some layoffs are planned. So we knew this was going to come. BuzzFeed's uh, SPAC did not do very hot. And, uh, and the Jonah Peretti, 
founder and CEO of BuzzFeed, has said that they're going to downsize. Uh, and this comes after the union talks, I believe. Companion article written by Antoinette Sue. BuzzFeed News Union vows to fight job cuts. We won't stand for it. Over at The Wrap. The pro version of The Wrap. But I'm reading it. BuzzFeed Union is going to uh, fight this as well. They're, it's been it's been a tough year for BuzzFeed. They launched this SPAC. First, they launched the SPAC after they failed to do it the first time. And uh, they had a little bit of revenue boost, but it just wasn't enough in order to, uh, and I don't want to say save this company, but put this company into a position where it doesn't uh, need to do any type of downsizing. Shares closed at $5 back in March, late March, uh, up more than 6%. The 52-week high was 15 BuzzFeed is a little bit of an enigma. I don't think that it is the... It is... I, I, I know I've commented on this before. It's a place where uh, they try to do real news and put it alongside you know, listicles and, and things of that nature. And it doesn't work and they need to, I think they should, what they should have done before launching that SPAC was spin off the news portion into uh, something of its own and really rename it. I think, I think uh, uh, Vice should have done the same thing. Is spin off the news portion, something, and, and, and it can still be related to BuzzFeed. It could be Buzz News <laughs> or The Feed, something. Something to separate yourself from, so that so that uh, uh, investors can take that portion more seriously. But if you also look at the New York Times, they've been listed on the on the Nasdaq, and uh, they, I mean they've been listed for you know decades, and that and they've never performed well. They've basically uh, launched and then flatlined, <laughs> which is somewhat good, somewhat bad. And I know this as someone who has stock inside them. Is that New York Times? I pay for stock. I pay for the subscription. Baby, I'm all in. There's going to be job cuts. Uh, the union will stand up against it. BuzzFeed has won so many awards, including a Pulitzer. And now people are just being, or, or like given like cash to essentially leave the jobs. This comes after last year after HuffPost acquired the company and cut 70 staffers in the U.S. and Canada. And those cuts were supposed to, uh, quote, manage costs and cut losses at HuffPost. So there we go. Uh, Speaking of CNN Plus, speaking of news, CNN Plus shutting down. It's been uh, less than a month. Uh, Those people, everybody that they hired on, are, are basically jockeying for positions over at uh, regular old CNN. Uh, again, I don't think this should have happened in the first place. Um, and uh, uh, I understand what they were getting at. Um, I, I, get, I don't know if this came from Stanky or from the uh, CEO of CNN at the time, uh, Jeff. Is that his name? CEO Jeff. Oh, God. I feel so bad. CEO. Uh, what is his name? Jeff Zucker, yes. Uh, I don't know if this came from him at the time. I don't know. I actually, you know, what? I don't even know the the minds behind it. I do think it was a bad idea. They were uh, obviously trying to fight um, uh, uh, Fox News, Fox Nation, 
Fox News is Fox Nation streaming service. That is a very popular streaming service. Uh, but again, that is a far right streaming service. That's a bunch of racists looking to supplement their racist ideals. Uh, and CNN Plus, and even if MSNBC launched something, which they are with Peacock, uh, with Peacock, you see what I'm, you see what I'm getting at there. That uh, that never should have happened. They should have doubled if they wanted to do CNN Originals uh, or CNN Plus Originals or whatever. Call it CNN Originals, double down, throw it on HBO Max. And then after, you know, a couple of uh, weeks, throw it on CNN proper when you need when you need to fill an hour or so. People will go for the HBO moniker, the HBO name when people see that. When people see that uh, uh, the Mandalorian is available on Disney Plus, they're gonna go. I, you know, I don't know what this this Star Wars thing is, but I'm gonna. But I like Star Wars and I like uh, Disney. I'm gonna subscribe to Disney Plus so I can watch the Mandalorian. That's what people are gonna do. Nobody's gonna go. I gotta pay another four dollars to watch CNN. No one's no one is that big of a fan of CNN. <laughs> Trust me. You watch that when you're in a hospital or uh, getting your car fixed. Or some restaurant has it on. This is true. I walked into my gym one morning, and uh, this is this is. All right, you know, I'll tell this part of the story. First. It's not a story, just an anecdote. I walked into my gym one morning, and Fox News was playing on like two or three of the TVs, and, uh, and I was just like, uh, maybe I don't run today. Maybe I don't run up the treadmills today. Uh, and then you know, even before then, when I lived in, it is so hot in here. Uh, <laughs> it is so hot in here because <laughs> the oven is on. Even then, when I lived in uh, the suburbs. I, uh, the Fox News was playing on a majority of the TVs in my gym up there. Um, yeah. That's what it is. People are going to, people are going to stick with what they know and what they like. They're not going to, you know, I like CNN. I like a lot of people there. I just, when I said that, I just thought of the women that I like there. Just like, I was like, Caitlin Collins. Brianna. <laughs> uh, that's what happens with the lizard brain. But I really, I like, I like a lot of people at CNN. Uh, and what they, and so what uh, Peacock is doing, what MSNBC is doing is they're getting, and today, uh, and uh, NBC News. So they're taking all three of those and, and just launching, you know, live channels on uh, Peacock. And so we're going to be able to have MSNBC branded shows on Peacock. You're gonna have exclusive shows for Peacock, and I can I can assume that they're gonna have those people do a lot of cross promotion on uh, MSNBC proper. So we're gonna have people like Chris, but now for CNN Plus, we're gonna have people like uh, Chris Wallace and uh, Audie Cornish and everybody who had a show on CNN Plus is is I would hope that they with these big names move them over to uh, CNN regular. And maybe not everybody needs a two-hour show. You know, Chris Wallace came from Fox News, and he had a big show there, and he's your big name right now, so maybe give him two hours. But when it comes to, you know, somebody else who had a show on CNN+, Plus, maybe give them an hour. <laughs> this is all uh, Chris Litch was brought, Chris Litch was brought in uh, from uh, CBS Worked on Colbert's show, then worked on uh, CBS Mornings, or worked on CBS Mornings and worked on Colbert. 
and uh, he's a he's got a good mind for news. I think he's a very smart guy. I've been following his career for the past couple of years since his move to Colbert, and uh, he really he he can really change things around. So this is a good appointment for him, and I want to see what how he can shake up CNN as the new CEO. And if you need your right hand man, buddy, 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 buddy. Anybody watches late night? Seth Myers. CNN Plus is uh, was was just marred with complications. I think from the beginning, and you know, expecting them to do so much in so little time is just uh, was just fascinating. And again, I don't blame, I don't blame employees. I don't blame anybody. It's just, this was a product of, we have to, we have this news arm and we have to fight the, the opposing side. So here we go. Sorry, CNN is down the middle. We have to fight the, we have to fight the other streamer. People like Cassie Hunt. She going to get a show? She was on, she left MSNBC to get a show on CNN plus. I like these people. Uh, let's take a break. And I come back. I'm going to talk about some more stuff. Here we go. Going to break right now. Oh, I, you know what? I forgot to arm the uh, the thing. All right. This is what happens when you take a month and a half. Back from break in three, two, one. Welcome back to the show. Here we are, final part of this episode. Uh, let's talk about the Hollywood dinner's going great, by the way. It's finished. Just put in some uh, leftovers from Saturday because uh, I spent too much money on it in the uh, in the oven. Okay, this comes from Variety, written by Cynthia Littleton. How BIPOC audiences drive movie going ucla hollywood diversity report we're back at it again ucla has released its ninth installment of the hollywood diversity report something i've been following for such a long time i enjoy it it talks about this the growth of uh, i was gonna say slow this the growth of uh hollywood's diversity uh right now there's a lot of slow growth behind the camera for people of color women and uh latinos which is good. We found that. They found that. Excuse me. Uh, and this comes after the pandemic or during the pandemic. So this is uh, during and after. This study found that uh, movies with 21 to 31% of cast members from BIPOC backgrounds tend to have the strongest returns at the box office, while films with less diverse cast perform worst. Uh, worse. And I, uh, you know what? And I can see that. I can see that from uh, not from as an outsider, but as an insider. I don't think that. If you are somebody who, uh, if you are somebody who pays attention to that stuff, I don't think that it is possible to to uh, to to see it. Especially like if you're just a fan, you know, if you're a fan who's like, I'm gonna go see everything everywhere all at once uh, because it is a popular movie. I think that's what that is. But when you have movies like, uh, oh God, see, I can't even. Whenever I just, I don't even pay attention to a movie if if there's not a uh, if there's not a diverse cast anymore. I just, I just don't. And I'm glad I'm glad I do that because uh, I have no plans on seeing a movie uh, that is just about two white people dating fresh. The movie fresh on Hulu. I, I just I I'm, I went up Netflix <laughs> just to see if uh, if I could if I could pull a movie. But the movie fresh on Hulu. I mean, I'm sure it, you know, did fine for Hulu and I'm sure, you know, people watched it and everything. But 
you're not you're not hearing about it versus uh, a movie like The Bubble. Like I heard the lead up to it, and there's still stuff happening from it after effect. In 2011, 43.1% of actors in the top 252 movies came from BIPOC backgrounds. That's a big gain from 2011. When oh, excuse me, excuse me, 2021. They didn't. They don't. They uh. There's a there's a typo here. So in 2021, there's 43.1% of actors that who have BIPOC backgrounds. In 2011, it was 20. Amazing. Some 31% of the top performing movies released last year had a majority minority cast. That's great. I, st- I still would like to see, and I mean, and obviously this, this, this happens because of, you know, they're including movies not just released in theaters, but also VOD uh, and, and direct-to-streaming. And so I would like to see this happen in more big blockbuster-style movies as well. And when, you know, we have movies like, every time I watch a Fast and Furious, uh, and I only, watch, I only watch five on, I don't watch anything else before because they're all bad. Uh, but Five On, those are good. But whenever I watch those, especially particularly after uh, Rest in Peace Paul Walker passed away, those movies are largely, like with the exception of uh, Charlie Theron and the guy who plays Mr. Nobody, whose name I'm uh, forgetting right now, I can see it in my head, Kurt Russell. Uh, with the exception of those two, uh, and John Cena, I guess, those, those movies are a bunch of brown people running around, <laughs> you know, saving the world. Versus, uh, go back to Disney, a, b- a bunch of white people <laughs> saving the world. Well, hold on. Disney makes movies about people of color. They just have to be about their backgrounds. It's true. Look at Turning Red. God, I hated that movie. I'll, get, I'll watch it one more time, but I did not like Turning Red. I did not like Luca. I, did, I haven't liked a Pixar movie in years, apparently. <laughs> and I did not like Luca. I fell asleep. I was tired, though, mostly because of the whole TV situation. Uh, Among the directors from the 252 films that were analyzed, 21, and these are the top films of the the year, based on, I guess, box office and viewership or whatever, Uh, 21.8% were women and 30.2% were people of color. Those are directors. Among the screenwriters for those films, 33.5% 33.5% were women and 32.3% were people of color. Asian Americans made up 5.6% of the lead acting roles, 6.4% of overall casts, 6.7% of directors, 4% of writers. Black actors held 15% of uh, 15.5% of role lead roles, 18% of overall roles, as well as 9.5% as directors and 10.4% of actors. Latino actors held 7.1% lead roles, 7.7 overall roles. 5.6 writers, 7.1 directors. The study found no lead actors of Middle Eastern or North African descent. Native Americans remain virtually visible, invisible per their study, making up less than 1% of each job category in the study. Women made up 47.2% of lead acting roles, nearly double the 2011 level of 2025. So we're making strides, and I think, I think, it's, I think it's growing even more, but uh, according to this next article, this companion article I have, written by David Robb uh, from Deadline, UCLA's Hollywood Diversity Report documents enormous gains by women and people of color, but Latinx representation still lags. And I think this is pointing to an area where, uh, and it's just more about the numbers thing, but I think this is pointing to an area where we are still getting, uh, oh, and by the way, uh, Native American uh, writing credits were 0.8%. 
I think this is getting to a point where, um, or comments on the nature of, you know, I mean, I said it kind of passively about turning red. That movie, and I and I I know that that director has that has their story to tell and wants to tell that story, but I think we've come to a point where we're getting these chances as you know, uh, uh, people of color who are in the industry to able to tell different stories and there's always the reverting back to I got to tell a story about uh, a background uh, and and my racial background and it's got to be about that which I mean is unfortunate where I know people are going to disagree with me with but it's it's quite frankly I don't give a hoot but and I mean it's true I I, <laughs> I made I made I make fun of my mom about this like the only movies that they watch on the Netflix that I pay for you just just years of her taking care of me and then i'm like you you got you're using my netflix but the only thing that they watch on on the on there is um uh, my parents watch is like you know movies starring black people that are uh, like poorly made and they're all you know they're all titles like he hit me and and uh devotion of a christian woman you know things like that just trash and you know we uh the colored folk should be able to make, you know, uh, uh, an Avengers movie that doesn't have to, you know, deal, uh, deal a superhero movie that doesn't have to deal with, you know, being set in Africa. You know? I'm just saying. I want to make more Fast and Furious. That's why I like that. That's why I champion those movies. Yeah, they're stupid, but who? They, they work. And something I want to touch on really quickly, this comes from Variety, written by KJ Yasmin and Minori Ravindran. And then you know, if you look at a movie like uh, uh, the new Top Gun Maverick, that is such a diverse cast. You got Jay Ellis, that handsome SOB, John Hamm, others, <laughs> the rest. Now our blockbusters are getting a little bit more diverse. Now this comes from Variety. Inside the BBC staff exodus, women of color are exhausted from fighting a broken system. And this is a very good piece that came out several weeks ago talking about how uh, BBC has had its own share of issues when it comes to uh, 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 women of color not getting their voices heard at the uh, British Broadcasting Corporation. As of March 2021, black, Asian, and minority staff accounted for 15.9% of all BBC workers and 12.6% of leadership, which is interesting because like, I watched BBC News Report, Nightly News or whatever that is called, uh, from time to time, and I see uh, the, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's it, is, it is a largely white staff because you can see into the background of the, of the newsroom and everything. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I, I, I agree. I don't, I don't know. I, cause I'm not, I'm not as in tune to the, the BBC news as, as much as, uh, as you know, one should be, but you know, if you liken it to the New York Times or NPR, NPR, NPR has had its own issues with, uh, uh, having people of color or not having people of color and women, and minorities, you know, in big leadership positions. Uh, and, you know, to some extent, same thing for Disney, where all those big CEO types left their positions a couple of years ago because they just weren't having their voices heard. And 
if it's anything, if this is any, if this BBC problem is anything like NPR, then, then the then the it, it, it'll it stems from the top. Uh, apparently, one veteran told Variety, "There's no problem with entry level hires. You can get a job at BBC if you're black, Asian, or minority uh, ethnic background. No problem. But then you're gonna get to a certain level and not gonna go any further. And and that's that's what that's probably like not the main issue, but that is where an issue stems from is where you don't have their voices at a high enough level. I heard I re- I had there's a podcast I used to listen to called. Um, uh, writer's room or something like that with Ben Blacker or Ben Acker, one of those guys. And, uh, and when one of the writers they were talking to was a writer for last week tonight with John Oliver. And he he's a black writer and, uh, and he pitched the story about one topic that had nothing to do with race. It was one topic about like a business, or something. And then John Oliver's team and John were like, uh, well, actually, can you do the story about black people? Which, you know, yeah, have the story written about black people, written by or an Asian person or you know Latina person written by that person of that person of that race but uh it it's at some point you know you that's that's what I was talking about you get we're getting to a, a point where it's just it's diminishing returns where you're going to tell the same story over and over and over again uh where we finally have a chance to tell something different and that wasn't even by that writer's choice again that black writer's choice he wanted to do something else 66.5% of white British staff worked at the BBC for less than a year and 69.2% for one to three years, while 78.1% stayed on longer than a decade. As of March 2021, 23.9% of black Asian minority staff worked at the BBC for less than a year and 20.9% for anywhere between one to three years and uh, only 12.4% worked for a stint of 10 years or more. I mean, we're we're getting to a point where these, where everything, every corporation, every entity is going is uh, just has to has to be um, taken held accountable, held accountable because there's there's no reason that they shouldn't be. If you're going to be telling stories about things all over the world, uh, then you should be able to uh, have people representing you. Anyway. That's my two cents. Listen, if you like what you heard here, head to the website, cpluscomedy.com, where we've got some other things. Interview with Bobby Moynihan is at the... Uh, uh, yeah, I'll just record that later. It's fine. Interview with Bobby Moynihan. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you're the best. Uh, if you want to see a video version of the show, youtube.com slash comedy. If you want to see uh, our weekly show, News Time, that's also on youtube.com slash C comedy. It's good. It's pretty fun. I enjoy it. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends about this. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at C comedy. Me at Chad Black White on all of those as well. Uh, thank you so much. And we are leaving, baby. Mm-hmm.